Welcome to Testers Island Discs, your most musical guide to software testing. My name is Mark Winteringham and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Testers Island Discs. Uh, today my guest is Simon Pryor, who is a QA program manager at Camelot Group. He's the founder of Aylesbury Tester Gathering, which I've had the honor and uh, pleasure to speak at. And he's a strong advocate for advancing training in software testing in the industry, something that's close to my heart as well. Uh, welcome, Simon. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you on. Thank you for having me. So I think we should probably start with me offering you an apology. I was supposed to come down to Camelot and speak at your sort of internal testing event. How did it go? It went really well. Um, so I had four speakers that come down in the end. Um, Lee Rathbone, um, Nicola Sedgwick, Dan Ashby and Christina Ohanian. And it went down a storm. Everyone loved the, the talks. Um, cream tea and scones were served in the afternoon, Mark, so you missed out on that. Um, and yeah, we're, uh, we're following up on some of the stuff we learned from the day and hopefully going to have future events as well. So it went down really well. Oh, brilliant. So what sort of topics were covered? So Lee did his my, the mobile phone is dead talk, which uh, obviously talks about um, how testers need to upskill and, and be ready for the future technologies. Nicola talked about um, using her Fitbit to monitor her, her self-well-being and how her work impacted her well-being and how to be self-aware, basically. Um, Christina talked about communities of practice, which again is something I'm I'm a strong advocate for and trying to implement here. And Dan did a talk on um, testing the idea and looking at the investigative side of testing. Something Dan's very passionate about. Yes, definitely. Well, that's a great, that's a great group of speakers and uh, great content. I'm gutted I missed it. I am sorry. There will be more. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will come down at some point, I promise. So you and I have obviously discussed uh, some of the events um, that you run inside Camelot, um, and it's it's quite impressive. Like the you know the people that you get in, the fact that you've managed to sort of uh, keep this going in a regular way, and that you've got a lot of engagement. Like, how did you get buy-in from the business to begin with? So I think part of it is um, there was a real drive to improve the awareness of QA and testing within the business. Um, so, and also within the team themselves, we're trying to engage the team, in, increase the passion and enthusiasm for all things testing. So when I came in, it was part of the, part of the thing I was discussing, um, just after my interview was, you know, I, I've, I know some contacts. Um, I think I could probably work some, some events here that would help enthuse the team on more modern techniques. I mean, the big thing for me was when I came in, things like the Ministry of Testing, no one in the team had heard of it. So it was me to introduce the Ministry of Testing, me to talk about, let's go to conferences, let's go to events, let's organize webinars, um, and just pushing some of that interest into the team. Um, my boss, she's a well-known speaker on the circuit as well, so she does quite a lot of QA conferences. So between me and her, we're trying to get the team more engaged and more in, in interacting with the community. Is it specifically focused on the QA team, or do you try and sort of have other elements and other roles of the company join in as well so we, we are branching out into the wider business one of the things here is we are an, a sort of the centralized qa team for the whole company um so we have to interact and raise the awareness of what we do with the, with the wider business and that means getting the other areas of business involved in 
some of these discussions to show them what testing on QA actually is. It's not just about executing tests at the end of a cycle. We are here from the start. We're here for advocates of quality. We, we want to build the products successfully and correctly um, to a high level of quality from the start and not just be left at the end to, to, to test. Well, that's fantastic. I think it's, I think it's a, a great initiative and like, I wish you every luck with it. Thank you. Are you hoping to sort of share some of your experiences to the public? I hope so. I've got a, a couple of things that I'm working on at the moment that I'm looking, looking at potentially doing next year. I think the biggest thing for me is um, the industry is obviously moving in a very agile DevOps, whatever the next methodology focus is, whereas um, I'm well aware that, that myself here and a lot of companies I've been in interaction with recently are still in very traditional models. Uh, waterfall third-party suppliers that provide the development work so it's a very different model that we can still provide value and that's kind of what i'm hoping to be able to put a talk together on which is providing the value in a traditional mindset oh cool well look forward to hearing about that i think we're going to talk a little bit more about those challenges in a minute but first uh, let's talk about your first song pick so um my first pick it's really a song that when i met my wife um she introduced me to the artist um and it's kind of become a a theme for how we live our lives. Um, we had it played as one of our songs in the wedding. We had a very musical focused wedding. We had a live band. We had um, a, guitar, a band in the church as well, um, and we had a playlist that we put together for the for the meal. And this was a song that was in the in the mix. Um, we've seen him live. He's a he's a very interactive um, artist on stage as well. Um, it's Donovan Frankenreiter, and the song is Life, Love, and Laughter. Things are gonna change. They never stay the same. That's why we'll find a war for the evil on the blame. You can always stand up for what you believe. Don't be blinded by the power of greed. What about all those things you could have done, but you don't? You say things happen for a reason. You don't do them, they won't. You know we're looking for life, love, and laughter. Everything in between. And what happens after? That was Donovan Frankenreiter with Life, Love and Laughter. So we kind of touched upon it before the song, but you said you'd moved companies recently, obviously to Camelot and switched domains. How have you found that transition and what challenges have you faced so far? So yeah, it was it was quite a big move for me. Um, I'd been at McAfee for 12 years, um, started as a graduate there. So I'd, I'd built a lot of friends. I I knew various amounts of technologies inside out. Um, so it, and being in the cybersecurity space, that's obviously um, very different from the gambling gaming world that I've came in, I've come into. I did feel at the time that it was a big challenge for me to move, but I also felt that I had enough testing knowledge across, across QA testing full stop to be able to transfer my skills to a new, to a new area. And yes, it's been challenging. It's learning a whole new domain, but equally I felt that learning a new, a whole new tech stack and domain would have been something I'd had to have done wherever I'd have gone. Um, it's sometimes different looking at, um, how companies run and how businesses run rather than the domain itself. So you think you know how a business runs when you've been working in a company for 12 years, you come somewhere different and the way they do things from the ground from the top to the bottom is completely different. But, you know, it's part of adapting and, and learning about that. 
simple things like even the, the methodology, like I mentioned before, um, being very waterfall, having third parties provide all the development work was a big eye opener for me. Um, but soon you learn that you can still apply quality best practices to those kind of scenarios and you start implementing little things to improve the processes that you feel you can you can have a handle on. Introducing test sphere to discussions with the business and to the team helped build that knowledge for me on how, how technical and how understanding the team were. We've then been able to take that out further as well and get the business involved in some of those sessions. And it's helped build the knowledge of QA, not just in the team, but wider. And that's kind of what I intended to do coming in here. I wanted to try and bring a, a almost a quality best practice model here to the team to help build the reputation within the business. So obviously some of that you've mentioned before, like talking about sort of a culture of quality yeah. um, and the, the, the events that you run, um, having people come in and those talks is obviously one element of it. And then you sort of just mentioned test sphere there as well. Are there other activities and other sort of processes that you're putting in place to sort of increase that culture or make that increase the awareness of that culture? Yeah, I mean, one thing I'm, I've done a few times is I've spoken at company-wide events or technology-wide events within Camelot so that more people understand who QA and what QA are and what we actually do. Um, there's an external post going out from the Camelot blog in a couple of days or a couple of weeks' time where they're talking about what QA at Camelot is like. So that's partly, I've helped put that together and it's going to go out to a wider wider world, not just internally to Camelot, just to show how we work at Camelot. Um, we're just trying to build that awareness of, you know, let's get involved in more of the process. Let's not just be an integration test team. Let's try and get involved at the start when requirements are being defined. Um, let's make sure they're testable. So we're putting a testability model in place at the moment as well, which is something I've worked on. It's all about just driving that quality earlier. And so far, the business have been very receptive and they're very supportive of us being involved earlier um, and building that quality from the start and not just testing it at the end. So are you starting to see the fruits of your labour? Yes, we're definitely getting in, invited and involved in discussions earlier. Um, we're being asked a lot more um, to provide information at different stages of the project rather than just at the end. So it's definitely making a difference. Um, and it's only going to get more as well as we push to be involved in more things. Excellent. Well, it sounds like a very engaging and um, challenging role to have. So let's uh, move on to your second track. So the, the the artists I've gone for here, they're one of my favourite bands. I've seen them live about five or six times. I've, I've grown up with them. I remember buying one of their first albums when I was still in school. And as much as my friends at university and ever always mocked me for, for liking these guys, I've followed them all, all that through, all the way through. Um, I would have picked the most obvious song, but Alan Page picked it in his episode, so I thought I'd go for another song, which actually ties in nicely with another um, view that I had that I was, I was discussing. I wanted to discuss today, which is so the song's called "High School Never Ends," and really it's about how the politics of the playground never really go away. And I think this is something that I know myself and others have certainly expressed recently about social media and how actually if, if you don't address it in the right way, sometimes it can be quite a toxic environment. And there's lots of good stuff on social media, lots, especially Twitter. There's lots of people that are willing to share opinions, but equally there's also also the opportunity sometimes for your opinions to be shut down for semantic reasons or others. So it was just a, the song, like I said, the song's called High School Never Ends. And it just really shows the, the, the fact that there's always going to be those scenarios where politics come into play.
That was Bowling for Soup with High School Never Ends. Um, so changing tact a little bit, you've uh, given a talk entitled If Universities Won't Help Us, How Do We Make a Tester at Various Conferences? And this is something I'm personally quite interested in as my role is very much weaved into, uh, I think, some of the challenges and some of the arguments that you've made. But um, can you tell us a bit more about it? Just give a bit of context around the talk. Yeah. So, I mean, this started three or four years ago when I was um, so I was getting involved in doing careers talks at McAfee, um, going out to schools and universities. And the more, pe- more people I spoke to at universities and schools, testing wasn't on their radar. Um, so I started delving into research a bit further. I um, found contacts for the top 25 universities in the computer science lists and um, basically reached out to all of them and asked them, you know, I'm doing some research around the, the involvement of software testing in your syllabus, software QA. Um, what's, what's, the, what's the amount or what sort of work do you do on your syllabus? And I would say 70, 80% of them come back and said, oh, it's not on our radar. We don't see the demand for this to be covered as a topic. Um, we cover software development, we might touch on unit testing, um, but we don't cover testing activities as a whole. So that got me thinking, you know, what can we do as an industry to try and improve that awareness of testing? Um, so I, I started trying to get involved with universities for a while. I was on the industry advisory board at, at University of Buckingham to try and help improve their syllabuses. But when I move companies, I've not been able to reach out and, and, reconnect again yet um, but the intention is for me to start again connecting out with more universities and, and try and raise that awareness of testing on the syllabuses there's pockets of of coverage uh, Swansea was one university that have a dedicated testing module um, and a few others do as well but the majority had nothing the nearest you got was formal methods in Cambridge and Oxford or like I say a little bit of unit testing here and there the next step from that was then to start identifying okay well what would we want to teach um, what skills would we want people to come out of university with? And actually, through thinking about it and doing a bit more research and discussing with the community, it's not the technical skills that we'd be able to teach that are the biggest thing. It's making sure that people have the right attitude um, and the right soft skills in some respects to be able to be a good tester. What you're describing about universities with testing matches up with my own experience. Um, although I initially, like my my academic background was in music um i went back to uni to do a conversion course in computer science um which in the end i eventually dropped out because i found that most of what was being covered was kind of irrelevant to the industry at the time but it was the same thing was it was astounding like how little was discussed about testing and i think there was like a paragraph on unit testing in one module um as a sort of just sort of like you know Cursory, oh, and then there's testing, and that's it. Um, so I go back to my own experience as well. I mean, I came out of university at, in Hull with a degree in computer science, and I knew from that point that I didn't really want to go into development, but I didn't know what my other options were. Um, so I ended up taking a graduate software development role, and eventually I was able to find avenues into other stuff. But to start with, that was pretty much my only option, and that was something that I didn't think I'd have to make that decision at that point. Yeah, and, and I think that's... The, the connection of that is the, sort of the other side of how people have fought, like, you know, the way they say they've fallen into testing um, because there isn't that sort of, there isn't anything that's really defined. There's no clear curriculum or, or structure into sort of 
moving into this sort of career space. Um, I mean, I'd even argue things like ISTQB, whilst they've probably tried to take that challenge on more than others, it's still still kind of separate from the industry to a degree. I, I agree with you to a point on the ISTQB. I think there are, I mean, I, had a, I attended a session with Paul Gerard recently, and he's looking at some possibilities from new certification and new skills matrixes for testers. And actually, I can see why ISTQB have got to where they are there and they are seen as a recognized standard. But it's all, a lot of it is theory. It's not practice. It's not how things actually are in industry. And we need to move that on to give testers the skills. I think it's away from the certification. I think it's more about giving them the skills that they can then apply when they're in a role. But the, the beauty of being a tester is there isn't a box that everyone fits in. Everyone does things differently, and that's the difficult problem that we need to try and address with um, how we provide that education. Well, it's like you said earlier, you know, and this is one of the challenges or one of the things that I've discovered as I'm trying to make sense of what the role of testing is and how how do we put training around that is that idea of, you know, a, a lot of it is about the individual's attitude and their characteristics, having empathy, having the drive to, to, to want to test and like words like tenacity and even obsession have been mentioned when I've had discussions with people. One of the challenges I, I've found, and I, I'm curious to know like what your thoughts are on this, is that how, how do we, first of all, how do we teach those sort of attitudes? How do we foster those sort of things? And if we're doing that from a potential distance, so say for example, uh, the dojo is online learning, how, how do we how do we teach those things and observe those those characteristics from a distance? Well, I think one of the ways of doing that is just getting blanket coverage of awareness in the areas um, that we need to get. So get people out in universities. I feel everyone in the industry has almost got a responsibility to try and see if they can make any difference with their local schools or their universities, um, doing careers talks, getting them interest, pointing them at the dojo, seeing how many people actually follow up and do the courses you're not going to get everyone taking that taking the bait but somebody will and that's one extra person that then shows an interest that may end may end up with a passion in that area and that we're not going to make big waves it's it's just about finding ways to encourage people that were otherwise not not aware of it to try start following a passion that they can then move into it's it's a culture thing again, isn't it? And it's like you said, you know, lit, little changes rather than big changes are what are going to move things to a certain direction rather than uh, big bang exclamations of this is what testing is and everyone should toe this line. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. So do you have any plans? Because I know you have, a, you have a hashtag around this, make a tester and have a sort of you know, an initiative focused on this like do you have any future plans for it any future talks or anything like that so i'd like to possibly do an update next year maybe do a try and do another talk on my research i've not done a lot since i've moved companies um but i would like to pick it up again and my ultimate dream is to sort of to run a conference aimed at students aimed at people that may not otherwise be aware of testing roles or testing as a as a activity and get people in to do sessions on introduction a bit like the test pass essentials in some respects but more focused at students and people that are not necessarily in our industry already and just run something to try and get people engaged maybe get people that have got roles and activities available for for new hires plugged in as well so that they can connect and and hopefully start their careers but 
yeah, I, I'm very early stages of that. I did have a venue secured, um, but I haven't managed to follow up with anything since. So that's on the back burner at the moment, but that is something I'd like to consider again in a year or two's time. Well, it's it's certainly a subject that's close to my heart as well with the work that I do on software testing clinic with uh, Dan Ashby. It's the, you know, the, trying to sort of address the same issues and challenges as well. Um, so yeah, you know, if you need any help, let me know and um, you know, call out to people, uh, to, to listeners as well. But uh, if you're interested, you should get in touch with Simon. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Well, I feel it's time that we uh, move on to your third pick. So why don't you tell us about it? Okay. Um, so another artist that I'm possibly a little bit obsessed with. Um, I got into him quite late. I think yeah, about three, four years ago, I picked up an album in HMB that was like three or four quid um, and realized that I actually really liked his music. Um, I struggled to find a song that I, I wanted to put in here, but I thought this one worked well given the context of what we just talked about. And also my overall thing of trying to advance people's skills in testing and, and the wider tech careers. So the song is by Frank Turner. It's a song called Get Better. I'm trying to get better because I haven't been my best. She took a plain black mark and started writing on my chest. She drew a line across the middle of my broken heart and said, Come on now, let's fix this mess. We could get better because we're not dead yet. They threw me a whirlwind. I spat back the I took a battering boot, I've got thicker skin And the best people I know are looking out for me So I'm taking the high road My engine's running high and fine May I always see the road rising up to meet me And my enemies defeated in a mirror behind I'm trying to get better cause I haven't been my best She took a plane That was Frank Turner with Get Better. We've obviously talked about some of the talks around uh, Make a Tester, but you've also been uh, speaking at some conferences around about your journey into test leadership and the challenges you've faced around that as well. Do you want to share us share a bit about that as well? Yeah. Um, so I've been so this is going back to obviously my McAfee times as well. So I've been um, a, a local lead for a QA team for a while. And um, as I've grown in the leadership role, it's one of my bugbears that um, management is seen as a promotion. Um, it really isn't. It's a complete change of career path. Um, but I was promoted into management, not just of my local team, but also a team in Ireland. Now, I'd never managed before. I'd never had line management duties for, for, for anyone. I'd been the person that had liaised with my team as my boss was in the States, but I'd never actually had line management duties. And suddenly, overnight, my role changed from being technically hands-on to basically doing admin work overall for 12 people, one team in Ail in Aylesbury, one team in Ireland. I mean, I'd, I, had to, I had to create that team, build that team from scratch in Ireland. So I hired everybody. I um, trained them up. I mentored them. I coached them. I got them up to speed, ready to start work. But I equally had a team that was quite long in the tooth in Aylesbury that I had to sort of keep going in a – keep going moving them forward in the right direction 
And it was really just that realization of, you know, to be a good leader, you need to have the ability to support and nurture your team and also still be technically aware of the situation. Um, but to the, prob- the, the biggest challenge I had was my time management, having 12 people. I was in meetings from 8.30 till 5.30 every day. I was spending hours at home working in the evenings to try and catch up on emails and everything else. So I wasn't able to give the team the focus they needed to support them and build and build them up um, to the point where my stress levels got to a level and I ended up collapsing at home in front of the kids at the breakfast wow. table um, and spending the day in a and um, you know, I hit the table on the way down, so I spent most day in AE being being sort of mocked up and and supported. And and once I got home, it was basically yeah, you know, your stress levels have got too high. You need to take some time off. So I took a couple of weeks off, and in that couple of weeks, I made the decision that I'm going to reassess how I do things as a leader. I'm going to focus on the people. I will delegate a lot more of the meetings that I need to delegate to. I will be there as a you know line management and a testing advocate for my team. I will represent them at meetings I need to represent at, but equally I will delegate to the team where they where they can. I hired a lead in the island team to be able to take on a lot of the, the day-to-day running of the team locally so that I could visit monthly. Um, but ultimately, as time went on, it got to a point where I felt I needed to make a change. I needed to try something different, and that's where I started looking at elsewhere to try and improve my management skills and also address you know my career aspirations. That's crazy. I, I wasn't aware of the fact that uh, you'd actually sort of got to the point that you'd sort of worked yourself into A and E. That's uh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But I think it comes as it's an it's a um, it's something else I've learned a lot. It's it's the nature of a global business as well. The day doesn't start at eight at nine a.m. and finish at five p.m. You've got you've got teams in India you're liaising with. You've got teams in the U.S. So your days can be twelve, fifteen hours long, and they were frequently that length. And it was something that I was, you know, I had a young family at the time. I had a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old um, and a very supportive wife at home that kept saying to me, you know, you need to change something. You're working too hard. Um, what gain are you getting from this? You know, you're missing out on time with the kids, et cetera, et cetera. And she was right, and I should have listened earlier. And eventually we managed. I managed to sort it out and, and get my balance right. In your talk, you talk about sort of testing values. Was this around was it around that time that you sort of started to put those into place or was it more personal values around how you structure your work yeah it was around that time and this is where I was trying to still maintain a focus on on the testing to make sure that I was advocating for the team to make sure I was aware of what they were doing and how we could improve best practices but yeah really the values I'd 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 been thinking about stuff for a while and I was trying to work out why things weren't aligning with how I felt about testing so, I mean, if I just run through them quickly, I won't go into detail, but the five values I set as was that testing is a mindset. It's not just an activity. It's more than just executing scenarios. Um, again, comes into it being not just being an activity. It starts as a project is conceptualized or an idea is thought of rather than at the end of a cycle. Um, one of my biggest bugbears was that 100% test automation coverage should never be a consideration. Uh, the amount of LinkedIn posts that were going around at the time when I wrote this um, blog post about test values and about the talk when I put the talk together of these these um, testers that felt that 100% automation is the only way to go. And uh, I've heard Dan speak about this a few times where, you know, it loses the investigative side of testing. And for me, that's as important as the as the automation. 
And then the final one was that testing activities or a testing team are valued as highly as the other disciplines. And this is the one that really conflicted with me and it was starting to make me feel that, you know, I wasn't hitting my values in my current role. Testing was starting to be seen as a as a lesser activity. It wasn't considered as an equal to everybody else. So it's then like, right, how do I change that? What do I do to, to raise the awareness? If that doesn't work, I need to look elsewhere. And that was kind of how it got me to the decision of um, deciding to look elsewhere for other roles. Brilliant. Have you like blogged or sh- shared those values elsewhere? I've, I've blogged, so it's on my personal blog, which I'll um, I'll give you the link to. Um, yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, it'd be great to share those with with others. I think a lot of other people will will get a lot of value out of them as well. I was actually interviewed by Gabby Trotter as well. She did a um, a blog post for searchability, and she made a cool graphic for, for them, which I've used in several places since. So yeah, definitely we can share that. Oh yeah, we'll definitely get a link for that. Love it. Love a good graphic. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Uh, well, I think uh, it's time to maybe talk about uh, song number four. So uh, why don't you give us a little introduction to that? Yeah, sure. So um, this artist came about, um, we had a good friend who was always telling us, um, oh, you, you, you'll never guess who the next big artist is. Oh, you, you've got to hear this guy. He's great. Or this band are going to be awesome. They're going to be huge. And um, this guy, he actually, um, our friend bought us tickets to go and see him as our wedding present. We didn't know who he was, no idea who he was. Um, but he said, this guy's going to be massive. You, you've got to go and listen to him. Um, so we went along to the gig. It was in the Oxford Jericho. I'm not sure if you know the Jericho Tavern in Oxford. Literally about 50 people in the room, spitting distance from the stage. Um, it was an awesome gig. And this guy has been someone we followed a lot since. The, the artist is Ben Howard. And the song I've chosen here, again, going back to the challenges I faced and also trying to keep positive. The song is Keep Your Head Up. Now walking back down this mountain The strength of a turn and the tide Oh, the wind's so soft at my skin Yeah, the sun's so hot upon my side All oh, looking out at this happiness I search for between the sheets Oh, feeling blind to realize all I was searching for was me Oh, oh, oh. all I was searching for was me That was Ben Howard with Keep Your Head Up. As I mentioned before, I've had the pleasure to speak at Aylesbury Tester Gathering. Um, it was a it was a small amount of people, if I remember correctly, but it was still there was still some good conversations, and it was a good opportunity for me to uh, practice a talk that I was working on at the time. So, thank you for all of that. Um, how are things going with the uh, with the meetup? Um, so I did a. I did the, the last event I've actually been able to to run was last November before I moved moved companies. Um, we did a big event on AI. We had a an AI expert called Paul Imray come in. Um, uh, it wasn't so much on testing, but he, he he the activity he did was amazing. He set it up as a courtroom where testers were being accused for not testing AI effectively, and it was our job as a room full of testers to argue back on how we could test AI effectively to make sure that 
you know, bad things with AIs, talk, looking at minority report type things or high robot activities. So some of those films where things went wrong, how we could prevent that kind of thing happening. And it was, it was a really interesting debate. Um, uh, and probably my biggest audience, I think we had like 35 people there for the evening. Um, and since moving companies, um, my evenings have become more about commuting home and spending time with the family. So I've not been able to find that time to set up again. Um, but I have, I've got aims to start up again once I can find a venue. Obviously, I was using McAfee as a venue before I left. Um, I've not approached them about using the venue again, but um, I will keep looking for a venue so that we can run it. I've got a, had a few people pinging me saying, when's the next event? But um, being a one-man show as well, uh, it's been difficult to balance between doing that and, and doing stuff with the family or doing stuff for, for the new role. So it is something I intend to get back on the bandwagon with. But at the moment, I'm focusing my attention on bringing speakers in internally to our test team meetings or the event I, I raised before. So, um, yeah, it's something, I, again, I have aspirations to get running again. But at the moment, it's taken a bit of a hiatus. So you hear that, listeners, if you're, uh, if you're in the Aylesbury area and have a space or want to help Simon out, then uh, you need to get in touch, get the meetup started again, because it's, uh, it's a fantastic event. It's um it's something I think we've 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 learned from software testing clinic is that it's it's always good to have it have two hosts because I think uh, people don't quite appreciate sometimes the level of work that's required and it's not necessarily uh, full on um, cognitive load work and stuff but just you know getting those bits and pieces together email yeah logistics and stuff like that it's just it, it all adds up um when you're trying to do that sort of for free along with jobs family and life as well absolutely you know the biggest thing for me was the struggle to speakers was never an issue i always seem to be able to get speakers um but getting sponsors or getting an alternative venue if i needed somewhere that was a bit bigger was always a problem and then getting the people most most meetups and i think lee lee rathbone spoken about this previously about the demoralizing thing of you see 50 or 100 people sign up for event but then only 20 turn up now on a smaller scale you get 25 sign up you think great it's gonna be an awesome evening and then you get there and there's eight and you kind of think well what am i doing this for you know i'm trying to raise the awareness and trying to improve the the local areas of interest um and I only get eight people turn up and half of those are employees that I work with day to day that just thought they'd come down for the free pizza. So it, it just, it kind of demoralizes you a bit, but you know, you keep driving forward, hoping that one day you'll get that event that, that really kicks off. And for me, it was that last event that I wanted to follow up with, but I've just not had the time or the ability to, to set something up. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it can be a, a painful process being a meetup organizer at times. Um, we've, we've tried to do things around, improving it's kind of like influenced by sort of discussions around diversity but trying to do things like make sure that it's always on a regular day so that people can ensure that they've got childcare in place offering other things than beer and pizza um i think it's uh, an interesting one we um i remember we did one uh, session and we put fruit juice in for the first time because we thought oh somebody had said would it be nice it'd be nice to have some fruit juice so we put a couple of cartons in and they were gone before the meetup even started. Um, so we realized that, you know, some people, some people it can be that that whole beer and pizza thing can be a bit of a t turn off as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's, there's the challenge of um, people saying they're coming and then they're not and how you deal with that. 
Um, I'm reminded of a piece of advice I got uh, from Martin Hinier, um when I first started with workshops. And it's like, you know, you're not going to reach everyone, uh, but the people who are interested and engaged, that's where the satisfaction comes from. So if you have only those eight people, but if those eight people make for a good conversation and are engaged, then I think that could be more valuable than having 30 or 40 people who are just there for the free bar. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, again, I like. I wish you every luck. I hope. Uh, I hope everything gets um, set up again. And um, yes, maybe I could come down and do a, a talk at Aylesbury at the same time. Do two talks in one day. To because wow. I owe okay. you so much. <laughs> Damn it, that's on audio now. So I can't get out. Of it. <laughs> okay, so uh, well, it's all that's left is um, your fifth and final song. So uh, tell us about that. Okay, um, so this is a more recent song. It's. Um, one that's really resonated with us as a family this year. We've had quite a lot of family illness um, and different things that have happened this year that's made us really reevaluate the important things in life. Um, and this song's become a bit of a hit with the kids as well. Um, both my sons uh, asked for it in the car. Um, so it's one that we gets played a lot. Um, so the artist is Lucy Spraggan, who um, was on X Factor, uh, God, 10 years ago, maybe something around that. But actually, her songwriting is immense. Um, so this song is called Lightning. Light up the sky with lightning. We ain't afraid of thunder. Light up the sky with lightning. We were born to wonder. Be brave, don't be afraid. It's time to dance in the pouring rain. And light up the sky with lightning. If you don't take moments to be yourself, You'll spend your life being someone else Think of all those feelings that you never felt It's more than okay to ask for help If you get struck down tomorrow Well then let that be your fate But you make sure that they play this at your wake That was Lucy Spraggan with Lightning uh, So... Simon, it's been uh, great to speak to you and catch up with you. Um, I certainly would love to talk to you more about testing and education. And we have some big plans at Ministry of Testing that I'd love to involved in. But sadly, we don't have enough time to talk about it here. So we'll have to find another time at some point uh, more privately. But yeah, all that's left to to choose is your book that you're going to take to the island with you. So uh, what's your book going to be? So I'm going to have to cheat slightly. I don't know if other people have had, and it's probably a predictable... Oh, everyone cheats. Everyone cheats on this show. ...predictable choice as well, given um, the success of the TV series. But I am absolutely obsessed with the Song of Ice and Fire series by George R.R. Martin. So the Game of Thrones, um, the books... Um, it, I've I've read them all a couple of times now. I'm still waiting and you know anticipating the next book that George has been writing for the last 15 years. Um, but you know, I've tried reading other books of a similar ilk and nothing's matched in comparison. So I would have to say the Song of Ice and Fire series by George R. R. Martin. That raises a, a, an interesting question of, do you only get to take the current books Ooh. or do we get someone to mail order over the other books <laughs> as they're created? <laughs> I don't think there's any fear of that happening. I'm not sure I'll ever complete them. (laughs) Well, nonetheless, I'll have a chat with Neil and see what he says. (laughs) Fair enough.
Brilliant. Well, yeah, once again, uh, it's, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, how can people get in touch with you? And uh, do you have any upcoming events or talks this year? Um, so, yeah, the best way of getting in touch with me is on Twitter. It's at S-I-Prior, S-I-P-R-I-O-R. Um, I've got a personal blog, which I update regularly, semi-regularly. Um, that's, a, I regret the name now, but it's priorsworld.wordpress.com. Sounds very egotistical, but it really isn't. Um, but I've also got a new, new. I'm not sure whether it's going to turn into a blog or whether it's going to turn into a podcast that I'm working on with three others at the moment. Um, we've got a little private Slack group called Testing Peers, and we're trying to work out whether it's going to become a collaborative blog where we all input into the same blog posts or whether we're actually going to trial doing a podcast between the four of us. So it's something that we're working on, and maybe by the time this episode comes out, we'll have made a decision which way we're going. Um and as far as future events in November, I'm doing my test leadership talk at a business leadership conference. So I, when I reached out to them, they've never had tech speakers before. It's always been very business heavy, HR, that kind of talks. But they're really keen to get an, in, an, in, an insight into the tech leadership to, um, field. So I'm doing my baptism of fire talk, which I've done at a couple of events this year. I'm doing that at that event in November as well. So I'm doing those. I'm also on a various um, couple of webinar panels over the next few weeks as well. So um, I'll, I'll, I'm sure you'll hear me somewhere. Well, we'll share links to all of the stuff that you're working on and um, maybe your future blog or podcast. We'll see. But that's it for this episode. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Tester Island. Um, but for now, all that's left for me to say is goodbye and uh, goodbye from Simon. Thank you. Bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you by Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Mark Winteringham. Created by Neil Studd. Theme music by Green Day. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. Right, I want to ask you one last question. Sure, go ahead. When, when, at what point um, during your job at Camelot did you stop saying it's only a model in your head? <laughs> <laughs>